0: that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking of the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um that's close to you. I mean he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church and we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here
1: Well, good morning church. Hey, are you excited for flood Sunday today? yeah I was uh, I was back in in the sound booth during worship and uh I said, man, it feels like Easter in here, man. That the Jesus is alive and people are excited about it. Super, super amazing. So we're excited to celebrate that today. Uh there will be a meeting of the church board after service. Today Announce a pastor once. And at the end of the service, the church board, they, they got together in the back of the sanctuary for that pre-announced team meeting, but there was this stranger that showed up there amongst the rest of the team, and it was a visitor who never attended the, the church before, and the pastor said, uh, uh, my, my friend, you don't you don't understand, this is just a meeting of, of the board. And the visitor said back to the pastor, yeah, for sure, and um, you know, after that sermon you just gave today, I guess I'm just as bored as everybody else who showed up here, so... Um, you know, I was thinking, why is it that we often associate the church, Jesus' bride, uh, with this broccoli-flavored, boring kind of, kind of life? We're, we're, it's like broccoli. We're told, you know, that it's good for us, but we really, if we had the choice, we probably wouldn't pick it for ourselves. We wouldn't necessarily choose it on our own. It doesn't have a lot of flavor to it. And sometimes the Christian life it can feel like it's this list, you know, of, of "thou shalt nots." When you look at uh, at the Word, and I'm sure you've seen this or even felt this to some degree if you've if you've grown up in the church, especially in the South. It's communicated, you know, from the from the no fun uh, deacon or elder who's posted up like a bouncer at the door entrance. And uh, when you when you look at their face, it looks like maybe they just ate a bowl of horseradish or or, or something because like they just they, they glare at you with this disapproval. Maybe it's because uh, you you forgot the tie or you didn't iron your clothes or or you didn't have your Bible with you. Whatever it might be, you didn't feel welcome. Maybe you've experienced this to some degree from someone who told you when you were uh, visiting a church one Sunday that, that you were sitting in her seat and so you needed to, to move and come to find out it was a seat that she had glared, uh, uh, gleaned and, and gained in 1893 and uh, it kept her seat because no one knew ever showed up. Maybe you felt this from the guy who was wearing the religious robe and then, uh, you know, regally strolled up from his uh, high chair uh, into the, that's what I call it, the high chairs that sit on stage. They still up from their high chair here and they may have said something to the degree of, of blessed uh, in the name of the Lord and then everybody kind of responds back and mumbles something and you didn't know what to say and so maybe you felt like an outsider or, or, or even the sermon or service itself was about as exciting as tax day. You know, have you, have you felt that before when, when you've walked in? You, you might sing a hymn together and, and it's like, okay, you sing verse one and two and four. Josh, I don't know historically what we've had against verse three uh, of, of the hymn, but it was, it was unison, you know, monotone kind of voices. There was no expression. There was no feeling. No one was friendly. No one smiled at you. No one seemed excited about, well, anything really. And you may have walked out of there thinking the motto should have been, you know, we put the fun in funeral because that's what it felt like. And I struggle with this deeply because how, how could it be that there is this God who has so radically transformed our lives with this unfathomable power and an amazing grace that he's given to us, who's literally breathed new life into you and to me. How could he demand that I waste my Sunday morning like that? It doesn't add up for me. And, I'm not, and looking back, I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying hymns are bad. I'm not saying what you wear to church matters. I believe that there have been faithful members along the way who, who didn't necessarily intend to communicate a message of we don't care about you. But here's the thing, church. Here's the thing. Good intentions don't always translate into good community. And so there's got to be something else. There's got to there's be something else for us in this getting together as the church of the church of Jesus. And so this morning for week five of Under the Hood, what we're going to talk about is our culture arrest, our culture of celebration. Our culture of celebration because I'm telling you, if there is anybody on the planet, anybody on this entire planet a group of people that should be motivated to celebrate it, are, it is those who have met jesus christ who have who have walked from death into life who have been transformed by his grace amen because jesus is alive we always have something to celebrate in this in this place you know the prince of uh, of preachers charles spurgeon he once said this about joy i thought this was interesting. He says, no joy ever visits my soul like that of knowing that the Lord Jesus is highly exalted and that to him every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And today I'm really excited to share what the Lord's put on my heart uh, with this with this sermon of culture of celebration. And, and I'm not going to beat you up today. Uh, it's, it's one of those rare occasions for me. But I mean, you never know, but, like, I, I don't think I'm going to go that way. But we're going to celebrate in this place what Jesus is, has done and, and what he's doing through his people. And if you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered, like, why do they, why do they get hype up at Rest Church? Well, well we're going to talk about that this morning. And the, and the big idea is going to be this. We're going to talk about what it means to enjoy Jesus. What does it mean to enjoy Jesus, for the people of God to enjoy Jesus? Him. We're going to find out that the Christian life isn't isn't really this list of thou shalt nots, but it's really one one big thou shalt, and it's this love God. So if you have your Bible with you this morning or your phone, um, turn with me. We're going to go to the gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to camp out around a familiar uh, passage probably to you. It's verses 34 through 40. Matthew 22, 34 through Forty, and I'll set this context for you a little bit here. In this, uh, in Matthew twenty-two, we meet Jesus, and he's in this scene uh, of this ongoing dialogue uh, between himself and. The, those religious elitists, the the bouncer elders who were standing at the front door with disapproval looking in. Jesus is having a conversation with them. And what they're doing is they run through these series of questions to Jesus publicly. And they're trying to catch him, you know. It's trick questions in, in front of him. And so they run through all of these things about the, the resurrection. They run through... Um, The the law of Moses and marriage, and they're talking about taxes, and again, they're trying to catch Jesus in some sort of mistake as he's he's speaking, but here's the thing, Jesus, he's really good at answering tough questions in our life, and plus, he was there when the law of Moses was given in the first place, so he's got an edge over this, he knows exactly what happened. And his answer it's back to them, it's not just wise, okay? It's not just wise what he says, but what it's going to do, it's going to reveal the heart of God on why God gave Israel uh, the law in the first place. And so this is Matthew 22, 34 through, through 40. Um, do you love Jesus Christ Church? Are you ready to study his word this morning? Are you excited to study his word this morning? Yeah. Here, here it is. Here's what happens. Verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two things, on these two commandments, depend or hang all of the law and the, the prophets. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, the title of our, our sermon was going to be uh, this, Pharisectomy. Pull that up. Um, <laughs> cutting, cutting off your inner Pharisee and helping stop the spread of other religiously acquired diseases. Uh, but my wife said that was super weird. So instead it's just this, enjoy Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. And the main truth we're going to carry with us today Uh, If you blink, you might miss it, but I think it's incredibly profound. It's going to change your life. Our main point we're going to carry is this. Enjoy Jesus. Enjoy Jesus because to love God faithfully, you and I need to understand what it means to enjoy him fully. And so we'll pray and walk through this together. Jesus, we love you and we, uh, we thank you for baptism. God, that it's an outward picture of what's going on, what's happened inside of somebody's heart. Lord, that they, they, they've crossed over from spiritual death to spiritual life. And, and while baptism doesn't save us, it has no salvific power, God. It's this, it's this public declaration, this megaphone of, of who you are and what you've done. And, and a reminder of how you, you parted the Red Sea for your people. And you made a way when there was no way. And God, as we, as we go down into those waters and come up, it's a picture of, of your death. That you died, but that you rose again in victory. And God, I'm excited about that. That we always have a reason to celebrate in here, no matter what our circumstances around us, because you're alive. And so, Lord, help us to sit down this morning, God, as we look at the the great commandments. God, that you would teach us, Holy Spirit, and and we would learn what it really means to have joy, to, to enjoy you well. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. So I went to a church a few years back. It was called Enjoy Church. And uh, my wife and myself and our our little baby at the time, Jackson, uh, we were in St. Louis on vacation. And so we decided to go to church somewhere. Uh, That's what really spiritual pastors do, by the way, Isaac. They go to church on vacation on Sunday. Pastor Cody and Pastor John are are at church right now for sure, okay? Uh, So we went to this church, enjoy church. And I remember driving down the interstate and seeing the sign on the the side of the building. and, And it said, enjoy church. And when I first read it, enjoy church, I thought... Man, that is a stupid name for a church. That's what I thought initially That's what kind of overcame me. But as the Holy Spirit started working on me and I started thinking about it, I was like, you know what, that's a, that's actually, that's a great name. For a, for a church, the, to enjoy Jesus and to enjoy uh, God's people together and together enjoy Jesus, like that's an incredible name for a church. Like that's that's some pretty solid solid doctrine. Enjoy Church and and actually it's from Enjoy Church of where we got the idea of to have our uh, dual screen security system up in the our kids section. So shout out to them for that and that Sunday. But I think in general terms, what what you and I, you know, Christians, especially seasoned Christians, what we tend to do a lot of times with the, you know, the doctrine of enjoy is we kind of dismiss it a little bit. We kind of dismiss and enjoy Jesus. And enjoy Jesus, it, it, it's not it's not a prosperity theology at all, but what we'll do sometimes, uh, in our spiritualness is that we'll run so far away from the biblical truth of prosper that we end up running so hard and so fast in the opposite direction that we end up in this weird form of asceticism where we're denying everything, which I think is as equally as dangerous as a prosperity gospel. But 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 what we do is we we dismiss enjoy Jesus and and like when we get in together in our conversations, we want to talk about God's omniscience. We want to have conversations, Johan, about uh, free will versus predestination, right? We want to talk about special revelation versus general revelation. But when it comes to enjoy Jesus, what we do sometimes is we, we take that thought, and I think we said it at the kids' table, like at, at your Thanksgiving meal. Do you have a do you have a kids table where all the kids kind of gather around like the adults? They have their big table so they can talk about you know adult kind of things. But the kids they have their their small table off to the side. That's what we do with enjoy God. I think sometimes is we we take that thought and we sit it at the kids table because you know we're too we're too spiritual for for enjoying Jesus. Augustine said this on enjoy. Um, he argues that everything can be divided into two groups: uh, things to be used and enjoyed by God. And 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 he says this to enjoy a thing. Listen to this is to rest with satisfaction in it for its own sake. An object of enjoyment isn't a means to some other end. It's something desired and pursued for its own sake as an end in itself. And he goes on to say that there's really only one thing, there's really only one person who we're able to rest in with complete and total satisfaction. There's really only one person who's worthy of of the object of of our faith and desire. And this is what he says. "The, The true objects of enjoyment then are this, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, who are at the same time the Trinity, one being, supreme above all, and common to all who enjoy him. Everything and everyone else is to be desired according to its usefulness for God. Now, I'm certain in your life you know how to enjoy some stuff. Like I've seen some of your Instagram highlight reels. I know you know how to enjoy. When I pick up um, Jordy, my three-year-old from daycare, and I come in and, and he comes like sprinting at me with his arms outstretched like Usain Bolt. He's going, Daddy! To pick. Like that brings me joy. I, en- I enjoy him. Maybe for you it's, it's golf or cooking or pets or, or vacation. You know what it means to enjoy you, you, you know what it means to enjoy, we know how to enjoy, but to love God, really it means to enjoy God, and to love people really means to enjoy them. And so we're going to walk through just two ideas this morning, just two ideas really quickly, of one, what does it mean to enjoy God's family, looking from the Shema, and, and, and what does it mean to enjoy God the person? So it's his fam, and loving him, and this is going to help us fulfill What's most important to the heart of God from our text? So starting with number one, how do we enjoy God's family? How do we enjoy God's family? So looking at the text, this would be a very specific kind of neighbor we're talking about, the local church. How do we, how, how do we practically enjoy one another? And, and, and you know, there are a lot of things that I wish would last forever on this planet. But I know that, that no business is going to last forever. I know that no government is going to last forever. No nation's going to last forever. But one thing that's going to last forever, church, is the church. It's going to last forever. And so if the church is going to last forever, what I want you to do really quickly is tell your neighbor, just by proximity this morning, that this is forever, ever. Go ahead and tell them. Say, hey, this is forever, ever. And then turn back to them and say, forever, ever? Forever, ever. If you get the grace, okay, of being grafted into God's family, what it does is it becomes your forever family. And it's a lot bigger than Rest Church. I'm not talking about this little kingdom. We're included in that, but I'm talking about God's family, the big C church. And this is the countenance, man, of God's kids, I think. God's church. It's to do right by each other and for one another. Jesus says it in the complement of the first commandment, a second commandment, He offers up, even though they didn't ask him for a second commandment. He says, this one's just as important in the first. He says this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the main ways that me and you can love our neighbor well, this specific neighbor we're talking about this morning, is through shared relationships. It's through shared Relationships. Like I hear a lot, you know, and and say this a lot about, we, we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus, super important, super important. But when you read the scriptures, you see that God is also calling us to a shared relationship with Jesus. God wants you to share your life together, that it's with God and one another, yet most of us, our goal has been to be um, I N D P E N D E N T. What you know about me? That's that's from the theologian uh, Webby, and it's either a little bossy or a little boosy. Do you know? Okay, a little boosy. Okay, I'm getting old, guys. But uh, look, if, it, no matter no matter how well intentioned you may be, okay, and, uh, and, and being independent of one another in the context of the local church body, to be independent is to be uniquely non-Christian. Because you can't even fulfill all of the commands of God separated from the local church. John 13, there's a one another there. It says that we're supposed to love one another. Just as Jesus has loved us, we're supposed to love one another. In the, in the, in the uh, English, it's two words, one another. But in the Greek, it's one. It's this picture of unity. And there are these one another phrases all throughout the scriptures. You can look them up for yourself on your own. We see this, though, it's to love one another. We see encourage one another. We see offer hospitality to one another, to be kind to one another. Yet we as the church, we've been content for far too long just to tolerate one another, right? Or, Or ignore one another altogether. And you may not know this, but God, he doesn't call you to go to church, okay? But he does call you to belong to one. He doesn't call you to go to church, but he does call you to belong one whether that's this one or, or another uh, bible believing Jesus loving uh, gospel preaching church you should you should belong to one for the one another and so how do we how do we actually enjoy though how do we how do we enjoy our our brothers and sisters God's gifts uh, to us our, our family well two things really practically in this shared relationship I want to point out two things in this shared relationship um, to love your neighbor well the first one is this to to have fun together, to have fun together how do you how do you love your neighbor well, your specific local church neighbor? well, one really practical way is to have fun together and, and hear me out don't don 't set this on the kids' table just yet don't don 't put it there, okay, but to have fun together because because your friendships they matter, they deeply, deeply matter and and when you have this sense of community and authenticity and sincerity, fraternity for you guys, sorority for you ladies, I think that is Christianity at its best. When we are one anothering well, loving one another out of the overflow of loving God, because look, If all you ever do when you get together with one another, if all you do is ever talk business, if all you do is check boxes off of things that you're supposed to accomplish, you're never really gonna enjoy one another. You might work together, but you don't share life together. And this is, the early church, they got this, okay? Acts 2.42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Yeah, we love, we love the word of God. Culture of truth a few weeks back. We take the word of God incredibly serious. But also, it says, but they, they also devoted themselves to fellowship, to breaking bread, eating meals together, and to praying together. And this is this is a major pitfall for me. I'm a red, and so I like to I like to accomplish things. I don't want to hear about the story. I want to get to the point and get it done and move on to the next thing to accomplish. And so I have to work. I have to work really hard about having fun together. But let me. I'll say this: Pastor Cody and Pastor John aren't here, so I feel some a little more freedom in saying this, John, this morning. Uh, I think if like if you can't have fun or have a sense of humor, like you probably won't fit in that well with us here. Can I say that? Okay. sister. <laughs> so sure. um, because I think joy and laughter are, are, is this amazing thing that, that, that are prominent elements to reveal Christ to the world. For example, when, when, our, when our pastor team gets together, and there are other groups. Uh, rest, some rest groups have this. Some D groups have this. Some uh, serve squads have this. But when your pastors get together, and I'm talking about just in proximity of, of, of one another like, you never, know, you never know what to expect, you know? You never, you never know what, like a rubber band at any moment could come flying in front of your face. Uh, we're behind the scenes. We're challenging one another to, you know, fit weird words into the sermon. Shout out to Cody for Dutch Oven one Sunday on that. Um, just bring that up again. Uh, when we get around one another, you have to cover yourself up, right? We'll just leave it there, Pastor Johan. Um from getting checked. During during the week, we send uh, videos to one another and memes to one another. And, and in my phone, uh, every one of the pastors, they have their own unique nickname that isn't their real name. Whenever they call me, it shows up. And a big part of our camaraderie comes from our, our, our shared togetherness. We, we take vacations together. We take trips together. We have memories together with, with one another. And, and, and nobody is safe from being ganged up on when we get together, especially Pastor Isaac, right? And, and so And we love it, though, and we love it because we have this this togetherness. We, we, we don't just pastor together. We have fun together. We enjoy one another. And this isn't something that we've just created, but it's something that God has gifted us just in the same way that he did with the early church, that they, they actually liked one another. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul illustrates this. He says, we, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news of the gospel, but we also shared our lives, too. And and like, okay, this verse that, that's cool, and that that's a, that's a great truth. But how do you have that? How do you have that in your in your own life practically? Well, one way is really easy, right? You can here at rest. You can. You can jump into a group. You could create your own for that matter. We have group launch coming up next Sunday where you can stay after service and meet the leaders of our particular different groups. And if there's not a group for you, it's probably the Holy Spirit telling you, hey, there's a group that you need to start because of of people in your life to have community with. And so all my D group leaders, all my rest group leaders, hear me on this. This is what I want your goal to be this semester. If If you're a leader of a group, this is what I want your goal to be this semester. It's not indoctrination. It's integration. It's not indoctrination. It's not just about the teaching of facts, but it's integration. It's about sharing life together. Sharing life together. And so you have fun together, and that's what we're going to work toward. And what happens is as you have fun together, what's naturally going to happen in your relationships is you're going to have some people in your circles, they show up, and all of a sudden they have these refrigerator rights. refrigerator rights in your life and you know I remember uh, getting off of the bus in elementary school at my grandmother's house Uh, shout out to the real OG's that rode the bus by the way and uh, i would get off and i would eat a snack after school and she had this fridge a special fridge that was in a whole other room besides the kitchen and in that fridge that w- it was set aside for drinks you know cokes and mountain dews and all that sugar goodness kind of stuff you know and you know at Memo's house i never i never had to go to her and ask i never had to go Memo. can i can i go and get into the fridge and have something to drink why i had refrigerator rights. I just had the right to, to go and get it because we had this really good relationship with one another. And, and, and I know if, you know, i suspect if you're like most people, there's probably very few people in your life that have refrigerator rights in your house. Very few people. Because if you're, if you're like most people, you might have friends at the gym or friends at the PTA meetings. But there's probably very few people that you do life with together they can literally walk into your home pop open your fridge and make themselves a, a turkey sandwich with colby jack cheese there's probably very few people in your life that are like that and, and i'm reminded of this is this pattern from hebrews 4 16 actually from god it says this let us then with confidence oh, this is beautiful let us draw with confidence near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of the day. And i started thinking about this church you know what this confidence is with Jesus here, it's heavenly refrigerator rights. That that we get the right as the sons and daughters of God's to uh, of God to to come before him, to draw near his throne of grace with with the boldness that we may receive mercy and find that grace and to help us in our time of need. So, it's this pattern we have with the Lord and it's this pattern that we should also have with one another. And and I don't know if you get this or not, but God's family, the local church neighbor, the second commandment, it is such a gift to you and to me. Your neighbor is such a gift to you and to me. And think about it like this. I want you to to imagine with me for a second, like a real human flesh and blood person. Imagine with me the most wisest person that you know that's in your circle. Imagine with me the most courageous person that you know. Picture the person that has the best sense of humor. Picture the the person in your life that is always positive, that they are so positive it's almost annoying. Picture picture the person that that always seems to show grace. If you were to take those people and their best qualities, all of them, and and the enjoyment that they bring to your life, and if you were to increase those best qualities to perfection, that's just a glimpse of who the person of God is. And so these local, these local friendships, the, the local church, it's meant us to, for us to enjoy one another, but, but it, what it does ultimately is it's supposed to point us to Jesus and, and who he wants to be in, in, in our life. And so church, do you have those shared relationships with your neighbor? Do you make time to have fun with one another and enjoy one another to the glory of God? So, so that's how we can enjoy God's family. Next number two is how do we enjoy God the person, okay? That's how we enjoy God's family, but how we enjoy God the, the person? So now we know how to love our neighbor, but how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we enjoy God? Like, what, is, what does that even mean? And, and follow me here for a second. If you go to John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word, word, I highlighted it there because it means logos. It means the reason. Um, it's it's uh significantly and simultaneously talking about the the verbal and dynamic scriptures of god the the Bible, but it's also talking about the person of Jesus. It says in the beginning there because Jesus, the Word was there in the very beginning and then if you fast forward to John uh, chapter one verse fourteen, it says this and this is the message version i like I just like the way that it puts this, talking about the word, the Word. So Jesus became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This means that the person of Christ and and the words that he spoke out into creation and the words of the scripture are so tightly and uniquely connected that they are, they are one and the same. And so a primary way, a primary way, really practical way for you to love Jesus well is through the reading of his word. You know, if... <laughs> If, if there was one thing on this planet that I wish God would take away that, that must be a result of the fall of man and original sin, it's um, leaves falling during the fall. And like, I, I hate, I hate raking leaves. Part of the reason I had children was so that later I could employ them to hate raking leaves alongside of me. And I don't know if you're like me, I have terrible allergies. It ain't easy being sneezy in the fall. Anybody like that? Amen. Okay, yeah, lots of us, right? Like I hate raking leaves. And I just thought about this. Like how many of us take that approach though when it comes to reading the word of God that, that it's just this, it's something that we're supposed to do. It's a task that we're supposed to do. And so we, we treat it like raking leaves instead of the adventure it is of digging for gold as, as God speaks to us through his, his word. Psalm thirty-four eight says this about reading the God's Word in this framework. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What this means is that the word of God, it is something that you have to taste for yourself. It's something that needs to be chewed on to savor. It's something that you have to, to taste, to, to digest, to really get the flavor of, of what's being said in there. And I don't know if you are like me uh, growing up, but w- my mom would always tell me when I was eating eating supper, she would be going, hey, slow down, you're eating way too fast. Like, can you even taste your food now? Like, how, how, are you enjoying this? There's no way because you're eating too fast, right? Was anybody else like that? Uh, I was like that. I blame it on school lunches for such short period of time to eat. But, right, so amen that, okay. Um uh, and so, like, do you do you enjoy it, though? Like, when, when you sit down, or is it just this task that, that you you know you're supposed to do it? So, so you just do it. J.I. Packer, he said this about the, the word taste here in Psalm 34. He said this, listen, to taste is, as we say, to try a mouthful of something with a view to appreciating its flavor. A dish may look good and be well-recommended by the cook, but we don't know its real quality till we have tasted it ourselves and I love this I love the way he looks at the Psalm 34 there because like I could describe to you and you could probably describe to your neighbor and in some sense of of the way of what the word of God tastes like when you when you chew on it but 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 what we're, what we're trying to do what we're trying to get to is we want people to taste it for themselves because we know we know in, in fact we're, it's like the spiritual Sam's Club here there are free samples every Sunday of the word of God and we know that once you, once you really taste it, once you really see it for yourself, that, like you better believe you're gonna come, come back and say hey there's nothing, there's nothing better than this, than the word of God and as you chew on it and you digest it, what's gonna happen is God's gonna start to reveal himself, the person of God to you, who he is and so as we enjoy the word of God from the word of God, we see him revealed which helps us to enjoy him to enjoy Jesus. Here's a few examples. In Psalm 19, we we see how big He is. It says, The heavens declare, Sky above proclaim the works of God's hand. And then you read something like 1 Peter chapter 1, and it says how small we are. Like all flesh is like grass, the, like the glory of a flower. The grass withers and the flower falls. And then you see a verse like psalm 17 8 right there's this juxtaposition of majestic and minute and then we still see like david's making this plea here to god that god knows us that that he doesn't just know us though that we're the apple of his eye just tell me that doesn't cause you to enjoy jesus how big he is how small we are yet he still knows you he wants you to know him from his word, we see different ideas revealed about who God is, about what God does and what God gives. And, and we really can't even begin to scratch the surface of who he is. We just can't. We get these glimpses of his glory. But as we begin to see him for who he is, we we begin to enjoy him, not just for what he does for us, but just because of who he is. And then it becomes like all things that are created around you, like bread and water when you hug your mama or someone laughs next to you or sex we see all of these good gifts of God and they're meant to point us toward him and so anytime we experience a good gift we need to remember James 1 a good gift in the context of his plan at least it says this every good gift every perfect gift comes from above it comes down from the father Every good gift in your life is from the Lord Jesus. And and here's a couple more verses I just wrote down really quickly uh, for you to enjoy Jesus this morning. Just receive these as I read them to you. Psalm 103, um you can read one through fourteen, but this part I picked out it just says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't repay you according to your iniquity. Hmm. Second Corinthians nine, it, it says it's talking about how God is Emmanuel that he's that he's come down to be with us thank God for this gift Lamentations 3 22 and 23 it says that hey do you have a bad night you know what his mercy it's new every morning and I've got my hit list of favorites you know Titus 2 and Psalm 139 and Revelation 19 11 through 16 And I'm sure you know that you do too but But this week, I want you to just take those three verses, if if nothing else. Take those three verses, Psalm 103, 2 Corinthians 9, and Lamentations 3, and chew on them a little bit, taste them for yourself, savor them. And so the next time you catch yourself enjoying uh, God's gifts that he's given to you, take a moment and be reminded of the best gift of all, which is Jesus. So we've enjoyed God's family We've enjoyed God's word, but ultimately both of those things lead to the end goal of us enjoying God the person, enjoying God the person. So back to the Shema for a second. Verse 37 of Matthew, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and he goes with your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything about following Jesus hangs on this, all the law, of the prophets. And so Jesus tells us, he says, he's answering, what's the most important thing you could do with your life? He says that it is to first love God. And in the Shema, no matter where you read it, sometimes it says soul, mind, and strength. But no matter where you read the Shema at, every time, the heart is mentioned first. The heart is always mentioned first. And I, and I love this because the heart, what the heart is here, the idea of the heart is that it's an organ Um, of preference and not performance. It's an organ of preference and not performance because, because the very essence of love, right, it says love God, the very essence of love isn't about first working for God, it's about first enjoying God. It's not about primarily about working for God, it's about first enjoying God. So it's not about doing, but it's about delighting. It's not about doing; it's about delighting. Delight it delights the whole the, the whole root of this thing. Doing is the fruit that comes out, but but delight is, is the root because because you enjoy God. So so catch that. Don't miss this. Okay, God didn't primarily create you. He didn't primarily create you to do things for Him. He primarily created you to delight in Him. He primarily created you to delight in. Him And so you you don't have to do anything to please God. You think back to the very beginning of the scriptures when, whenever God created everything, created man, and he looked over Christian and he said, hey, this is very good. This is very good. Before Adam even had the chance to do anything, God said, hey, this this is good. This is very good. And so I just wonder, church, have you you enjoyed the fact that God enjoys you? Do you know that? That God enjoys you? Zephaniah 3.17, one of my favorite verses, says this, that the Lord your God, he's in your midst, he's in your neighborhood. A mighty one who will save, he's going to rejoice over you with gladness. He quiets you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Romans chapter 5 verse 11 says this, Paul says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Church, this is, why, this is why Jesus died. This is why he died, so that we could be reconciled to a person. To a person, the person of Christ. Our joy, our joy is in a person, and his name is Jesus. And because, because he has risen from death, we always have a reason to celebrate. See, enjoy, it's not something that always happens to us just naturally, but I think it's a choice that we make. To enjoy is a deeply, deeply spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, be joyful, what's it say? Always. Be full of joy, always. To enjoy, E-N enjoy means to be. I in joy, in joy means to be in joy. But what do you do, what do you do when you don't feel like being joyful? What do, you, what do you feel like when you don't feel like enjoying Jesus? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5 says this later on in verse 18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And notice there, we're not told to give thanks for our circumstances, but we were told to give thanks in every circumstance that shows up. In all circumstances, we can enjoy God. We can enjoy God's people. So this isn't a circumstance problem. Enjoy's joy is not a circumstance problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. And so our joy, is not from us, right? It's, it's something that God gives to us. That means it's not dependent on the circumstances in your life. But what we'll do sometimes is we have this if-then, if-only-then attitude. We have a if-then or if-only-then attitude. And we go, you know what, man? If I could, if 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 only I could move into a bigger house, or if only I was born with more brains, or if only I was brought up in a more loving environment, or you know, if only my wife could cook, or, or whatever it is for you, you know, if only then we go, then I would be happier. Then I'd be more accomplished. Then uh, you know, I would have more joy in my life. Then I, I would just be a better overall. Person, you know, more successful, more ambitious, more generous. And and I say to that, I say maybe, but probably not because joy and joy is always a choice. There was a study done um, that was measuring uh, household income, what you make, your household income up against the joy in your life. And I found this really interesting. At like $70,000, what happened on the trend? is that people started to get more angry and less happy. So at around the $70,000 mark, right, they started to get more angry and trended less happy. And what the study came to find is that better circumstances in your life could only increase your overall happiness by about 10%. I found that incredibly interesting, that it can, uh, better circumstances could only increase your, your happiness about 10%. So think about that, okay? If you had all of the best circumstances on your side, like, like you got that job that you really wanted, you got a, an increase in your pay, you got the beach body that, that you've been working out for, you have, you have a celebrity spouse, whatever it is, if you had all of those things, the only thing it would do is increase your joy by 10%, by about 10%. And so that made me wonder, okay, well, well what's the other 90% dependent on? What's the other 90%? And and I would argue, I'd argue, I think it's enjoying Jesus. I, th- I, th- I think that's what the science is getting to there. That, that uh, over ninety, I would argue, is, is about how we enjoy God together and how we enjoy our neighbor. It's why Jesus pointed back to he Jesus, hey, the most important thing you could do with your life is to love me and to love one another, to enjoy me, to enjoy one another so that you can enjoy me more. And so this is not a circumstantial problem. This is a spiritual one. And that's why we always have a reason to celebrate here. Because no matter what the season, we can always, always, always find room to enjoy Jesus.